I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I didn't know my father. I was alone. Helpless. Helpless. I had no family. I didn't belong to anyone. To anyone. To anyone. I was an orphan. No one saw me. No one knew me. I was invisible. I was lost. I was lost. No one claimed me. No one said, he's mine. She's mine. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was hungry. Like all the food in the world couldn't fill me up. I was vulnerable. Unprotected, at risk, cold, tired. 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 I thought I didn't matter. I thought no one cared. No one cared. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. But I was found. But I was found. I was found. Someone stepped in. Someone saw me. I was sought. Pursued. Wanted. Known. I was an orphan. But now I belong. Now I belong. Now I belong. I'm embraced. A sister. A brother. I know my father. I know my father. I know my father. I was an orphan. But I am loved. At great cost. I am restored. I am restored. And for the first time, I know that I am valued. Prized. Forever. 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 I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. We're all orphans. So I care for orphans. So I care for orphans. I was an orphan. So I care for orphans. We have three um, pieces of scripture this morning. The first one is Romans 8, 15 through 17. And so we should not be like cringing, fearful slaves, but we should behave like God's very own children, adopted into the bosom of his family and calling to him, Father, Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are really our God's children. And since we are his children, we will share in his treasures for all. All God gives to his son Jesus is now ours too. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Um, the second piece of scripture is Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. How we praise God, the Father Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessings in heaven because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what, what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered with love, his unchanging plans has been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us, and he did this because he wanted to. Now, all praise to God for his wonderful kindness to us and his favor that he has poured out upon us because we belong to his dearly loved son. And the last piece of scripture is Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. Remember that in those days you were living utterly apart from Christ. You were enemies of God's children, and he had promised you no help. You were lost without God, without hope. But now you belong to Christ Jesus, and though you once were far away from God, 
Now you have been brought very near to him because of what Jesus Christ has done for you with his blood. Thank you, Barb. Good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Rob Jacobson. I'm so glad you're here today on this Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday uh, was started 16 years ago, 16 years ago, when a pastor started praying and asking who would stand with the orphan and the vulnerable. And uh, we started um, highlighting this a couple years ago. And to be honest, for me, Orphan Sunday, or actually the idea of orphans was really something that was very external to me, like a subject I would read in school, um, even though my mom was an orphan. And over the course of uh, my years of ministry, I've just seen story after story where um, this word orphan has stopped being a word and started being people. People actually very close, not only to me, but I think to us. And uh, four years ago, my college roommate, who had been living parallel life to me, we both married occupational therapists. We both had a daughter. Then we both had another daughter. Then we both had a son less than a day apart. Then they adopted two boys from Haiti, and we're like, we're, we're out. Um, <laughs> but getting to listen and watch their story has, again, brought this uh, near and dear to my heart. As Jacob and I have been praying, he shared his story last year we were saying and asking God, okay, what, how could we highlight Orphan Sunday this year? Over the course of the last many months, uh, I've gotten to know Andy and Ellen Stumbo. Maybe you have too. They have three daughters, Ellie, Nina, and Nicole. And uh, they shared their story with me, and I thought that it would be encouraging to hear for each of us. So Andy and Ellen come from a variety of different work as they come on up. They've been in Minnesota and Wisconsin and served in ministry and education and uh, other helping organizations. I'll let them take it away. Can you guys hear me? Do I have control now? Okay, perfect. When our second daughter was born, she was born with Down syndrome, and she challenged everything I saw as perfect, valuable in life, right? So I received her as a broken baby, only to quickly recognize that I was the broken one. So we began to be immersed in the disability community, and we began to see that people with disabilities are invaluable members of the body of Christ. We need people with disabilities in our churches, in our communities, so that we can be fully functioning members, right? They have gifts, they have talents, they're humans. God created them in his image. So when we were ready to have a third child, we wanted to have a third child, being a part of the disability community, we knew what happened to kids in other countries when they're born with disabilities. Most kids end up in orphanages. We also knew that at least in Eastern Europe, when a child turns four, they're transferred to mental institutions with adults. And most kids really don't make it past a year or two after that. So we started talking about adoption because we wanted to have another child with a disability, right? And I'm an immigrant. I moved here from Mexico when I was 17. So my idea was that we were going to adopt a little boy from Mexico with Down syndrome. 
that's what I was looking at. And there is a website, it's called Reese's Rainbow, and it's really a photo listing website of orphans with Down syndrome across the world. Now they have other sections, and they call it the other angels, and sometimes I would look at the other angel pictures, and I happened to be scrolling through the little girls, and Andy leaned over and he said, scroll back up. So I scrolled back up to this picture right there. And he pointed at her and he said, that girl is a stumbo. She looks just like my sister. And being the person I was, I had made a baby picture with my pictures and his pictures to see what our babies would look like, okay? <laughs> so I pulled out this album with the first picture, which was his picture when he was about two. We put them side to side and the resemblance was uncanny. You could have thought that was his little a twin, a sibling, because they looked so much alike. And he said, that's her, that's our kid. And I read the description and it said cerebral palsy. And I said, oh, that's really hard. I mean, we don't know anything, right? They don't give you any medical history. You just see an adorable little face looking at you. And he said, well, does she deserve a family, someone who will believe in her, someone who will stand for her? Well, yes, right? I mean, the answer is yes. So we decided to go ahead and adopt her. So two months after that phase, two, three months, we were flying to Ukraine to meet our future daughter. Now I have to tell you that we believed in a fairy tale, right? Adoption is wonderful, so great. And our love was going to transform the life of this little orphan that we had fallen in love with. And we had a whole army of people in our church and our family praying for us. So God was going to go before us and everything was going to go right. And then nothing did, actually. The moment we arrived in Ukraine, remember the swine flu? Well, that was a big deal apparently in Ukraine and the government shut down. So we couldn't do anything at all. We were not even allowed to go to the orphanage to meet her or see her. Thankfully, Ukrainians are willing to bend the rules a little bit if you bribe them. And I'm from Mexico, so I'm like, sure, how much do you want? We want to come see her. So we got to meet her. And that was us meeting her for the very first time. Now, I can tell you that this child was absolutely terrified of these people who spoke a different language. She spoke Ukrainian, and she understood both Ukrainian and Russian. But English or Spanish were not in her vocabulary. Now, that's a really sweet picture, right? Here's the reality. Not only was she terrified of us, she was especially terrified of her dad, of Andy. She had never really interacted with men, and the interactions they had were not positive. So he could not stand her touching her because it was scary. So if he reached out for her, she moved move away. And that looks really nice, right? Well, this is what we figured out. If he grabbed her and throw her up in the air and catch her again, it was nervousness, but she would allow that. And as soon as he would catch her, I would snap pictures. And those are the only pictures that I would share. Why? Because I didn't want to be sharing and telling people she can't stand us, she pushes us away, right? Because that's not a pretty part of adoption. Now, this was the one woman that she did love in the orphanage, Ida. Um, I will forever be grateful for this woman. Um, if you have never seen an orphanage, you are going to find uh, two things. One, you're going to walk into a children's orphanage and it's going to be silent, absolutely silent. And no place with children should ever be silent. 
or there's going to be a lot of moaning and a lot of behaviors that are learned um, as a result of great neglect. But this woman was the only person I ever saw who actually interacted with children, who would try to stimulate them, who would get in this big giant playpen to actually go and play with the kids. And Nina was one of her favorites, which was great for my kid because although she had to endure abuse and neglect, she also had one person who cared for her. And this is the day that I took her out. Look at her face. She's absolutely terrified. And think about it. It doesn't matter where kids come from. It doesn't matter if they went through abuse. It doesn't matter if it was a really bad situation when it's the only thing they know. And some stranger who speaks a different language, who looks different, who smells different, takes them out of the only place they know. It is absolutely terrifying. And although I'm, smi I'm smiling, like my oldest said, yeah, mom, you did not look very happy. I was terrified too. Um, we had hoped to be home before Christmas because, you know, we were praying. Everything was going to go and be great. And guess what? We were not. We were there for Christmas. And you can also see her little hand pushing me away. So we w I was in Ukraine for seven weeks. We were together there for three weeks. Then I was alone for four weeks. And, you know, everybody said, what a great time the two of you are going to have together, just the two of you bonding and connecting, and you're going to come. And, and it was actually the hardest four, four weeks, or maybe two weeks. She was with me for two weeks, for her and for me. So every night she cried. She pushed me away, and then I cried. <laughs> and then I would hop on Skype. And then she had to deal with this woman that's emotionally unstable, which was true, that's crying across the computer talking to the guy with the tickle tickle, which is what she called the beard. <laughs> but think about if you're a child who does not understand the language, and that's why you're stuck with a woman who is emotionally unstable, and I was. How hard that would be. And then she would ask me for food, but I didn't understand, right? Because I didn't speak Russian or Ukrainian. And I had, you know, a bag with onions, and she would point at the onions, and I was sure, of course she doesn't want onions, right? Like she doesn't know what she's asking for, so I'll buy her an apple. I'll buy her a banana. But the food I ate was not the food that she was used to. And if she would tell me, I'm really hungry, I would just look at him like, oh, you're so cute, right? Or like, here's a crayon. Well, guess what? Even those things, she had never seen crayons before, right? So what do you do? You dump them out of the box, and then you put them back in. So it was learning so many things, finally having someone that was not only interacting with her, but I had expectations, right? Like, look, I'm giving you attention. Love me back. Because that's what we expect with adoption, right? But it doesn't always look that way. Um, so finally, we came home. And I know that it, that just looks like a mess. But that mess, that clinging together, I had someone meet us so that they had a wheelchair so they could push Nina. And when I saw him, I ran to him, and the poor guy in the airport here in Minneapolis is like running behind, like this woman just left her child, because I was running to him and holding on to him, because finally we were home, and it had been horrible, and it had been so hard, and you know, I was terrified, and as soon as she gets there, she has her little sister who's only four going, you're real, you're really real, and hugging her and touching, and guess what, she was not used to adults touching her and hugging her, and she was not used to positive interactions for children either. But they woke up together January 1st, 2010, because we arrived on 31st, December 31st. 
and you can see Ellie is so excited. Finally, her little sister is there, and Nicole is looking at her like, who are you? Where did you come from? But it was from being, uh, actually, let me go back. It was from being with her sisters that Nina started to see like, okay, so this strangers, this caretakers, because at this point, she has no concept of parents, right? This care caretakers, I guess they're nice because the other two kids kind of like them. Um, and it was either that day or later, um, day one. So we went to my mom's house and Nina chose to go and sit on Andy's lap. And I know that it sounds like, oh, but let me tell you, it was actually not just like, oh, like she was being, you know, like, I'm going to give this a try. But that doesn't mean that from that day on, she loved her daddy and we're just going to be together and I'm going to sit on his lap because it's not how adoption works. Of course, the fact that I had a two, a three, and a four-year-old helped a lot. <laughs> because she got to learn those interactions. She learned to be a kid. She learned English because Ellie would be like, repeat after me, say garage, say sunglasses, say mom, you know, and, and I have videos of that and Nina would repeat and had no idea what was happening, but she did. And of course, you know, I dressed them all the same and, and I had a lot of fun um, and everything seemed to be great, right? Don't read that yet. Okay, here's the deal. We believed in a fairy tale, right? And we're believers and we're Christians. So what did that mean? Like, God, make this be great. And almost expecting God to be this magician with fairy dust that would blow it and be like, there you go, everything is perfect. Adoption is trauma. Think about it. The most traumatic that could ever possibly happen to a child is to have their parent, the person that's supposed to care for them and fight for them, all of a sudden not be in their life. Whether it's an orphan, in another country who ends up in an orphanage, an orphan here, a child in foster care. Think about it. The trauma they've endured, and it's because of things that have been done to them. It's nothing they did. It's not their choice. The people who are supposed to care about them the most are no longer in their lives. That is the greatest loss that every person could possibly go through. Why? Because it happens to a child, and it's trauma. And for some kids, whether it's in foster care or maybe parents who didn't know how to take care of them, think about the trauma that they endured every single day. I know from the orphanage where my daughter was at, I know that there was abuse. I know that there was neglect. I saw it. I saw kids being hit, being tied to cribs. It is not a good place. That's trauma. And then when we came to rescue her, that was one of the most traumatic things that could have possibly happened because I took her away from everything she knew to another country. When we got here, we put her in a car seat because it's the safe thing to do. Guess what she thought? We tied her up. We were not safe anymore either. And that's trauma. And then you can look later and see, look, it's perfect. And the love of God and the love of this family will completely transform a child. Well, guess what? Trauma is trauma. And you guys know, I don't care how great your life is, life is messy. And if you're really honest with yourself, there might be something really hard happening in your life right now. And you can pray and trust God, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be okay, right? God is good. And God's goodness is not based on our circumstances. God is good. That's it. And sometimes really bad things happen 
and God is still good. And sometimes we still have trauma and God is still good. So do we still deal with trauma? Absolutely. Trauma affects everyone in the family. And the thing is that even now, sometimes we get trauma responses. And, you know, we've done lots of counseling, so we talk about trauma brain. But the reality is that even if there are things that my daughter does not consciously remember, her body does. And unconsciously, she does. So some things are going to trigger because that's trauma. And it doesn't go away, right? And yes, you can trust the Lord and he will walk with you, but trauma is trauma. So a lot of times we talk about adoptions as this beautiful, wonderful thing, and it is. But we have to recognize that adoption happens because of the loss of orphans severe trauma. So I asked some friends to describe, you know, what does adoption mean? And uh, this is little Lila. And her mom says, adoption is love. Adoption is grace. Adoption is beautiful. Adoption is painful. Adoption is the best choice we could have ever made. This is a family with three, all their kids are adopted. Um, adoption is agreeing to carry someone else's emotional baggage for the rest of your life. All those kids are adopted. That's my friend Leah. I've invited her to come to church, by the way. Um, adoption means some days are great, and some days, like today, I don't have much positive to say. It means seeing broken hearts and broken spirits. Adoption means saying yes, even for the things you didn't ask for. A lot of her kids she's adopted because another family adopted them, and they're like, oh, we didn't realize that this was an issue. Guess what? Adoption means even for the things you didn't ask for, you get to say yes. And adoption means I learn how to actively love rather than passively falling into it. So what does adoption cost, really? Because people ask me that. Well, besides the money, and really that's the least, who cares about that? It's a human life, right? So when people say, well, we just don't have money. I'm like, well, you had money to buy your car, and you had money for a mortgage. So if you're willing to go into debt for a car, why wouldn't you to adopt a child? I mean, it's really just that simple, right? If that's the the reason. But besides that, that's not really what adoption costs. It's going to cost your time and forever. It's going to cost tears, so many tears. Tears, you're going to cry for the child that you love and the injustice that has happened to them. You're going to cry sometimes because adoption also means rejection, feeling rejected from a child. And if you learn about trauma and where kids from foster care and, you know, Orphanages come from, it makes perfect sense that they can't really trust people and they keep pushing them away. It's just a way to survive. And it's going to cost you emotionally emotional distress and it's going to cost you the easy life, okay? I mean, we had a pretty easy life when it was just the four of us. And, you know, it's the American dream. And quite honestly, in our Christian churches, we have like, oh, look, we're the perfect little Christian family. Well, no. If you're going to care for someone, it's going to cost you the easy life. So that person, that ideal, you have to let go of them. And now you can go. So the, Ellen's highlighted the idea that adoption was hard, that there was lots of trauma involved in that for us and for our daughter. But we also want to make the point that it's beautiful and that no matter what, we wouldn't change uh, what the outcome has been just because it was hard doesn't mean it, it, it was still worth it. Um, so I want to just highlight a little bit of how if adoption is traumatic, uh, how does that relate to God's adoption of us as his children? And uh, I think of the verse from 1 John 3 that says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us 
that we should be called children of God. You see, it's a beautiful thing that God has adopted us into his family, but yet just as uh, it was difficult for us, it was also difficult for Nina in the adoption process, I think as we think about becoming God's children, that's a process that we go through of working through a lot of things. When you hear about trauma, you might automatically think of PTSD, of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a common response to trauma, but it's not the most common response. There's actually something called post-traumatic growth, that we all have things in our life that are difficult or hard that then actually cause growth in our lives. It causes us to become, that we learn from those experiences to persevere and how to handle challenges and difficulties. And if we think about our Christian lives, that's somewhat what happens, that God uses these difficult situations, difficult uh, emotions to then help us grow into becoming his children. So there's something I want to talk about with what does it look like for God to re-father us? That as, as he adopts us, we become re-fathered by God. And one of the ways that I want to highlight is what does that mean for, um, what does his love really mean for us? If God's love is so great that he lavishes it on us, what does that mean? What does God's love really mean for us? And I think about the idea of fear. Nina brought lots of fear with her. And I, I think in our lives, we all have a variety of fears that keep us from really trusting our good father. And so I want to highlight three of ways that God's love really uh, applies to our fears. And the first thing about God's adoption of us and his love is it's undeserved. That we, didn't, we don't do anything to deserve God's love. I think many of us have a fear of not being enough. That I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. And let me tell you, we didn't, when we were deciding whether to adopt Nina or not, we weren't trying to evaluate whether she was good enough to be adopted. You see, when, we are adopt, when people adopt orphans, there's a sense of just loving who that person is and making that choice regularly that then it's not because of they're good enough or not good enough, it's just because of who they are. And so when we think about this love that God has lavished on us, it's undeserved. We have not done anything to earn it, to win it, to, um, to deserve it. So God's love is undeserved. I think a second fear that we have is a fear of rejection. And so our response to, to that fear is we feel this need to, to work harder, to make sure that people are proud of me, to, to make sure that I don't lose what that I have. And so we, we fear rejection, and so we have to work hard to keep that. But when we think about God's love being lavished on us, that he's adopted us, we can say that God's love is really unlimited. It's not this sense that we have to work hard enough to get more of God's love, or that if I am lazy in my Christian life, that maybe God doesn't love me as much. Or we compare ourselves to those super spiritual Christians and say, I'm not like them, so maybe I don't have as much love as they do. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. His love is unlimited. And lastly, I think a fear that kind of motivates us at times is a fear of failure. That we are so concerned about making mistakes or that we have sinned too much or that we're going to make a mess of our lives 
Well, the underlying fear is that maybe then I won't be loved. And friends, God's love is unending. There's nothing that my daughter could do that would make me to stop loving her. We went through a lot of really difficult days learning how to parent uh, a new child. We didn't fall in love immediately. You know, there was no love at first sight for us. It was a love as we got to know her and as we grew, and it was a challenge. But God is the perfect father, and his love is unending. No mistake we make will ever take that away. So I want you just to reflect today on what it means for you that God's love is undeserved, unlimited, and unending. I mean, maybe there's a fear that you wrestle with that helps you recognize where do you need God to, re to reaffirm his great love for you, that he has adopted you into his family and he has lavished his love on you. Will you allow him to show you that his love is undeserved, unlimited, and unending? You see, adoption is trauma. Adoption is difficult. Our adoption into God's family is difficult for us to fully believe that and live that out. But yet it's also beautiful. I believe God wants to continue to refather all of us, that he wants to uh, show us his great love. And so maybe today just ask yourself the question, what fear is driving me and keeping me away from God, that I'm pushing God away because I'm nervous about who this new dad is. And today maybe you could just rest in that love. So to think about Orphan Sunday, what can you do about it? And maybe you're not at a place where you're ready to say, hey, I'm gonna go adopt three kids from, from Haiti. But what can you do? My first challenge for you would be to think about how can you rest in God's love more? Because I believe the more that we recognize the depth of God's love for us, the more we're willing to, to love others with that fullness of love. Maybe at night before you go to bed tonight, or maybe in the morning when you wake up as you're sitting with your cup of coffee, you can just sit there and reflect that God's love is undeserved, unlimited, and unending. But also, I wanna challenge you to find a way to love orphans. And maybe that is somebody who, uh, maybe that's being involved in the foster care system somehow, that there are kids that have been somewhat orphaned from their families. Maybe it's learning and and reaching out to people who are immigrants. Because in a sense, they've been orphaned from their country, from their home, and they are learning what it means to be in a new place. It's a difficult transition. And maybe there are people that you could be welcoming to. Or maybe there's a way that you can get involved with real orphans around the world. That might just be going to Reese's Rainbow and praying for these kids that are on those sites. Maybe it's considering what God might be asking you to do. So today I just want to say adoption is traumatic, but it's also beautiful. And so we hold on to our, our good father as we reflect on that. Go ahead. How we treat those who are the most vulnerable really reflects how we treat God, right? We know that, uh, we know from scripture where God said, you know, you saw me hungry and you didn't feed me. And they asked, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry? It's, when you saw the least of these, the vulnerable in the world, how you treated them is how you treat me. 
and here's the reality. I feel like so often we care. I mean, I cared before, right? You hear about the plight of the orphan and you hear about the plight of the immigrant and you hear about the plight of the kids in foster care and we care, of course we care, but those lives don't really directly affect us. And we pray and we say, God, please be with us people. And we sometimes we quote scripture, thanks God for being the father to the fatherless. But what does that mean? Are we really moved to action? If we are children of God, if we've been adopted into his family, are we willing to take up the cross? Are you willing to offer your life to love those who are the most vulnerable? We're not called to the easy life. If we're Christians and if your life is easy, you're not called for an easy life. We're called to love with reckless abandon, to lay down our lives and say, yes, I will love. Love someone who maybe looks different from you, talks different from you, smells different from you, and to say, I will care about you and I will love you the best way I can. We're not God. Our love is not perfect. But we are children of God. And we do know the God who does love us unconditionally and perfectly. So are we willing to take up a cross, to lay down our lives, and to pay the cost that it is to really care for someone else who is vulnerable and who needs us to show up? The end. <laughs> well, I just want you to take a moment. Uh, Jacob is going to come up and pray for us. And the band is going to lead us in a song before we close. But uh, thank you, Andy and Ellen, for your words, for your testimony, for your authenticity, and for your challenge. I'd written down in my prayer before you guys had come up that uh, seems all the more appropriate now that faith in Christ is so much less about doing something religious and so much more about doing something relational. So thank you for the description of how you have related and brought this, this little girl Nina into your relationships and may we be people that see those especially different than us. You know, in the scripture, orphan is actually anyone who's lost a parent. Just one, not the ones that have lost both. And think about how much broader that that expands uh, the need and the hurts. And yet, God does have this undeserved, unlimited, unending love for us. And so as we step into what he calls us to, we actually go on display as these shimmering examples of God's lavished love. These shimmering examples that, that Christ raised us up in Ephesians 2, raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms that in the coming ages he might show all the realms of the world in heaven and on earth the unending, incomparable riches of his grace. He puts us up with Christ in that way.
Good morning, everyone. My name's Jacob, and I have the privilege in serving as an Orphan Center Coordinator for the state of Minnesota. And we can do all these things. We can adopt, we can do foster care, we can do respite care, we can do sponsorships. We can do every single one of those things. But the number one thing that I encourage churches and pastors and leaders and communities, that the number one thing that each of us can do is to pray. Prayer truly makes an impact. Rob shared earlier that Orphan Sunday started 16 years ago. But do you know how it got started? It started by a pastor in Zambia, Africa, that asked God desperately, God, what is your answer to care, to love the plight of the orphan? And God began to show him in scripture what his answer was. It was the church. 16 years later, in Zambia, Africa, in 2002, it has now affected over 95 different countries worldwide with over 2,000 different sites. Orphan Sunday is not only happening here or in the U.S. today, but in Europe, in Asia, in Africa, in South America. And so I want to challenge each of us to pray for three simple things. The first is to pray for the orphans worldwide and for the children and the kids who are at risk in our foster care system. Second, to pray for the foster and adoptive families. They need our prayers. The social workers and the ministries and organizations who are already engaged. And last but not least, for us here at Restoration and for other churches in our community to answer that call. So will you join me in praying for those three things right now? Dear Heavenly Father, you are a good, good Father. And I ask that right now you will be with the orphans worldwide. And for the children and youth who are at risk in our foster care system, that they would know your great love. For the foster and adoptive families, for the social workers and the ministries and organizations that are already engaged, who are already reaching out, that they would know that you care about them and that you will bless them. And God, that you will right now raise up people in restoration, in our brothers and sisters, our other churches, in our community, that they would respond to your heart, your call to love and care for the orphan and vulnerable. So God, right now, 
you showed us your great love. You gave us your great love. So allow us today to show that love to someone else today, this week, this month, forever. In your precious name, Jesus, amen.